0: Our passage this morning is from the book of Joel, chapter 2. I'll begin at verse 18. Uh, In your pew Bibles, it starts at page 743. Uh, Let us hear the word of God. But then the Lord was jealous for his land. His heart was moved and he took pity on his people. And so the Lord replied to them in this way. I am sending you grain, new wine, and olive, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. I'll drive the northern horde far from you. I'll push it back into a parched and barren land. Its eastern ranks will drown in the Dead Sea, and its western ranks in the Mediterranean, and its stench will go up, its smell shall rise, for surely... The Lord has done great things. Do not be afraid, land of Judah. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Do not be afraid, you wild animals, for the pastures in the wilderness are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains. As before, the threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and with oil. I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. That great locust and the young locust, the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be ashamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I myself am the Lord and your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be ashamed. And afterward… I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Let's pray. O oh Lord, our God and Father, we thank you that your justice is unchanging, that your mercy redeems us. Help us this day to receive in our hearts and minds the truth of your written word, illumined by your Holy Spirit, that it might make clear to us, the Lord Jesus, his great love for us and for the people we'll meet on Tuesday or Thursday, whether planned or unplanned. Fill us with great hope this day. Thank you for your kindness. Guard your beloved people from the brokenness of this one preacher. But even in that, may the completeness of Jesus be known and seen. For we pray in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. If we were to look at a thread through the book of Joel, it's a short book. There's three things I want to pick up on today. The first is this, the day of the Lord. And what is that? Chapter 1, verse 15. And then the fulcrum, the linchpin of what happens in the book of Joel is in 225. I will restore. And finally, an amazing promise that you may recognize coming to pass in the New Testament. I will pour out my spirit. And then after that. But first. Each week in Advent, I've been trying to give some context to the uh, minor prophets. Often, we're just not quite sure what's going on. Uh, We read through Chronicles and Kings and think, who are all these people? So, I'm working each week to give you some context. Just… Walking down the timeline that you see uh, there, I'll repeat. There was a time when Israel was a united kingdom. Three kings, uh, Saul, David, Solomon. But David was in the middle, and that was about 1050 BC. Well, after Solomon's son, there was a division, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And I taught everybody at celebration. We didn't charge them anything. This was totally free. I gave them the Chronicles rap. That helps them understand the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. NS Israel, Judah, 1920. 08. 19 kings that the northern kingdom Israel had, none of them were any good. Bad times. So God brought the Assyrians and used them to. Take away the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, and their 19 bad kings. And that's about when the prophet of Micah uh, was ministering. 7.22, uh, destruction comes to the northern kingdom. It comes to the very gates of the southern kingdom. But God sets them free. You'd think they'd say, oh, we're going to serve the Lord and nobody else. But they don't. Life goes downhill. And at some point, you see the timeline for the southern kingdom break. And that's the Babylonian exile. The Babylonians overcome the Assyrians. They come to Jerusalem, decimate everything. That's why the whole line stops and carries off uh, the people to Babylon. They're there for 70 years until after the judgment and brokenness, There's a return and restoration. It's miraculous and it's by grace The people come back from the exile. And even as they're coming back, there's Zechariah. We saw him last week. Well, this week, it's a little interesting. We're not exactly sure where to put Joel. He seems to be after the exile. But for Joel, it's not so important where he fits on the timeline of history because Joel is based on an historical event that is not tied to the flow or chronology of history. There's an event that happens in history. We'll learn about that. It's the swarm of locusts, whether that's in 1050 B.C., or 835 B.C., or in 1980 A.D., an event like that shakes a land and people cry out and say, what's going on? Joel answers that question. He answers that question based on the day of the Lord. And so in uh, chapter 1, verse 15, we read this statement from the prophet Joel. Alas, for that day, mourn, weep, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Yikes. Yikes. The day of the Lord is destruction? Pastor Bill, I want to tell you, read through the Old Testament and you'll see there's a great hope that justice will be established. And that's what the day of the Lord is. When God himself appears to establish justice, no more oppression, no more grinding the face of the poor or using the structures of society for a particular wealthy population at the cost of the poor. Justice will be established. Now, friends, we need to understand, I want to take just a minute here and remind you that justice is a unique characteristic of the Lord, Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. If you read about other gods in the Old Testament, Moloch or Baal, they're not about justice. They're about power. And you're afraid of that power or you're wanting to use that power. And if that power says, throw your babies into the fire, you do it. They're about power. Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, the God who met Moses in the burning bush. He's about justice. And that's unique. Have you ever read Greek mythology? There's nothing in those gods that you'd see about justice. Justice is a unique characteristic of the God of the Bible. Other deities, other religious, they're about power, but not about right about justice or righteousness. Amos 524, another minor prophet, says it so powerfully. Preaching about the day of the Lord, he says, but let justice roll on like a river, and righteousness like a never-failing stream. That's the God of the Bible. Justice. I want to tell you something. When a culture's gods and idols are not the source of justice, justice is then determined by human power. Justice is defined by whoever's in power. Not that I care to go meddling any, but imagine a country with two houses of government. One has the power, and they determine what justice is and send things on to another house of government— made up of different people who have the power, and they determine what justice is. You see, when a nation looks for justice to human power, it's whoever's got the guns, eventually. When we look to the God of the universe, who is himself just, who calls all people to justice, it's a different life. May God grant us, as we pray for people in authority, those who will say, may the justice of God roll down like an ever-flowing river and justice like a stream. God is a God of justice. So, we need to recognize that and that, Joel says, is what the day of the Lord is like. It's like a swarm of locusts. Now, you know... We don't deal with locusts much here in the United States. In those days, and occasionally in Africa in our day, they'll deal with these sorts of swarms. Let me read you some things from World Vision about what a locust can do. As many as a thousand newly hatched hopping locusts can occupy one square foot. Eh. A single locust can travel 3,000 miles during its lifetime, stripping vegetation wherever it and its swarm land. A swarm can devour in one day what 40,000 people eat in one year. One day of locusts in Holland, a year without food, in a 1958 visitation, Ethiopia lost 167,000 metric tons of grain, enough to feed more than a million people for a year. And what Joel is saying, remember that event, the swarm of locusts? Locusts like that? That's what the day of the Lord is going to be like. That's what the fiery judgments of God are like. Whoa. Whoa. I've heard folks say, got some good news and bad news. Jesus is coming back. The good news is that he's coming back. The bad news is he won't be entirely happy with what he finds. Joel is very clear that the day of the Lord will be more like a swarm of locusts. But here's what's amazing. Who is he speaking to? I want to tell you something. It's easy for us to say, ah, the justice of God for you. But who is Joel speaking to? The people of God. That's what's amazing. That's what would have caught everybody. That's what would have put Joel's life at risk. The day of the Lord is coming, and it will be like those locusts, and it will affect not just the Babylonians, Not just those other people. Not just the... It will affect you. Now, if the Scripture stopped there, that would be bad news. It might drive us out of guilt or shame or fear to try and be better people. Being better people is not a bad thing. I'm not against it. I've tried it. Wish I could do it. But Joel doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there. He goes on to this great promise of chapter 2, verse 25. I will restore the years the locust has eaten. That as if the day of the Lord comes with great judgment, but it will be restored. How does that happen? You see, here's what we need to recognize. The promise of God here in Joel is that the Lord himself will act. And if you're reading in the Bible, you'll see when it says, the Lord, that it's the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the way in English translation we communicate the divine name of God, the name that God spoke to Moses in the burning bush. It's not just the Lord who's boss or in the house of lords in England. It's Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. And the promise comes because the Lord acts. Notice it's not because people pay the debt or become good enough or he lowers the standard or he's for us no matter what. No, it's the Lord who acts. Friends, I want you to see this and grasp this because this is where many, many people miss the message of grace in the Old Testament. We'll hear that first chapter. Then we see this promise, oh, I'll restore. And we don't realize it's the Lord who will act, not us. The Lord doesn't say, and in that day you will finally get it together. So then I'll be able to treat you nicely. He says, I myself will restore what the locust has eaten. So there's an extraordinary promise here. Yahweh, the God of Israel, who is just, will bless. The message of Joel grows and expands is marvelous. But it leaves us with this question, how? How can that happen? How can the Lord both come with justice and restore his people without compromising one or the other? Oh, I get it. If justice really wasn't important to God, then he could restore And if God wasn't a God of abundance who wanted to bless, well, then okay, maybe we just not worry about justice. So the question for us is this, friends. How is it that Joel can speak? Justice and blessing. I want to tell you something. Joel can speak of that because he trusted what the Lord would do. I'm not sure how that works. I know the Lord is just. I know God is merciful and will bless. I trust him. I want to tell you, we're in a different position. Because in history, we look back on what Joel was looking forward to. We look back and we see at the cross that Jesus did exactly that without any compromise of justice in the day of the Lord and what that would mean, rather than demanding it from us for us. In his mercy, he did the restoration. At the cross, There. Is justice and mercy held together because it's done by God Himself. It becomes ours to receive, to live in Christ is the word Paul uses. To live by grace rather than blind to our shortcomings, rather than only hoping. It becomes ours to live in the grace that is abundant beyond measure. And that's where joy is. This is how God himself brings together both the justice that's very true and the restoration that he promises. It's marvelous. And that's why we have a great hope. In 2.28, he writes, and after that, after that, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old man... We get to dream dreams. Your young men will see visions right alongside of us. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. Peter would point back to this passage in in Joel on the day of Pentecost and say, you see, you see, justice and mercy together in one at the cross, that's how it works. That's how God's grace moves in power. That's the good news, friends. What Joel could only trust God for, we now see and are called to trust in the history of planet earth. God himself laying aside his glory, taking on human form And paying the price for our brokenness, taking upon himself the consequences that he himself might offer to us what we could never earn. There's the gospel in the book of Joel. You may be standing before God in this very place, feeling far away. I want you to see that at the cross, Jesus invites you in and welcomes you. You may be in a difficult season of consequences. Yours or other people's or just the mystery of life, a hard diagnosis, a child run off the rails, a business that's about to end. You may be in a season of hard consequences, but know that God will walk with you. That's the hope of Christmas. You may find yourself in a season of restoration where things are going well. We want to celebrate with you. That's the peace that only God can give. Romans 12, 15, Paul writes, Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. We're called to do that because of what Jesus did at the cross. We have an abundance of grace, and joy flows from that. Is life hard? Is life good? Receive what God is giving. Rest in that joy. At the cross, Jesus did more than simply restore to us new crops. When Joel says that the Lord will restore the years the locust has eaten, there will come a day when men will be able to feed their families. But Jesus gave us more than the next meal for our children and loved ones. He restored us to his Father. When we respond with faith to his grace, we become deeply loved, fully adopted children of the living King. And he invites us to the table that's his, that we might remember and live with joy. Let me pray for you. O Lord, our God and Father, thank you that we see now in fullness what Joel only saw partially, that under your anointing, he recognized that the day of the Lord, the perfect justice of God, could be like a swarm of locusts, but he heard two from you The promise of restoration, for I will restore all that sin has taken from you. And there at the cross, you gave to us the new grain, the new wine, the outvoil of anointing, and you call us to this table. So we thank you for your goodness, O God. Help us to see the great call to the cross of Christ where all we need for life and faith is given, not earned, given. As Scotty Smith prayed this week, I pray with him, that place is more than we could ever expect. It's far more than we could ever deserve. And yet that for which we have been made, here we stand. Through the finished work of Jesus, we have, you have placed us in your full, permanent, unwavering favor. Jesus took our disgrace, and he took our disfavor on the cross. And you gave us your grace and full delight by his resurrection. Father, we don't fear the swarm of locusts, because you and your mercy have taken them on Jesus Christ. Thank you for your restoration. Come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord.